We've got Alex Dunstan here. That's how I pronounce your name, right? That's how you pronounce it, yeah. Dunstan. Okay. Yeah. Um, for anyone living under a rock, um, or for anyone that isn't on LinkedIn, yeah. <laughs> could you tell us what, uh, what is it that you do, who you are, um, and yeah, what are you up to professionally right now? So I do a lot of things. Like I've got ADD, so I'm encoded to do a lot of things. Yeah. It's just how my brain works. Yeah. In the past, I was in marketing advertising with MSC Saatchi. I started with Tom and Andrew, a company called The Bakery, which I've just exited. Um, I run Saatchi Invest VC Fund. And now I'm working with a guy called Doug Scott, um, who has a company called Redbrain. Um, I'm chief of staff there, but also helping him relaunch something called Potential, yeah. which is um, a way to find the outsiders in the world. There's 7 billion people in the world, mm. access to, the talent's everywhere, but access to opportunity isn't. Yeah. And we just see so much unlocked potential in these people where the system didn't quite fit. Yeah. And what we did, we played with this thing called Linky Brains a while ago, and we found them everywhere. Like this, this like volcano of people who have incredible abilities, yeah. the ability to make the leap to humanity meant, mm. but they never quite felt they fitted in school. They never felt feel like they fit in corporates. They may never feel like they fit in VC in the current system yeah. because they're wired different and yeah. it means they see the world through different eyes and they're amazing. Mm. And we see them everywhere. So uh, with Potential, we are going to provide them the platform to fill the gap between who they are and who they could be because we think potential is the most powerful force in the world. And the key thing that we want to do is we don't want it to be encumbered by economic models. Some people it will be, they just need to believe they can do it. Mm. They just need three months to play and they need the freedom to do that. Yeah. So we might pay them just to explore. Mm. Other people will invest like VC. Mm. Some things will be more like a charity and foundation. Mm. Our lens is about, do they fit? Do they do something that in our world creates meaning in the world? Mm. And does it help them fulfill the thing that they really, really want to do? Because yeah. we're obsessed by the fact that the world is a better place, not through some new tech system that yeah. makes something more efficient, yeah. but by helping fill that gap between who you are and who you could be, which is infinite. Mm. But most people have grown up just thinking, I'm this, I can only do that. Yeah, That's incredible because you're making a real distinction between uh, just blind money, you're, you're actually trying to incorporate many, many different facets into potential. I mean, money isn't always going to help the founder. I exactly. Guess, yeah, I mean, sometimes you need mentoring, you need psycho uh, psychological help. And, and like sometimes said, it's network. Yeah. Sometimes it's just um, being uh, getting your first thousand users. Mm. Sometimes it's just a belief that I am actually an entrepreneur. Mm. There are so many tools and almost very deliberately, you don't want to be, in our view, you don't want to be beholden only to a VC model, for example, yeah. right? Because VC is one path. VC is for like 1% of companies. Um, and that's a great path, and many people go down that. But it's not right for everyone. And the VC path, economically, uh, because you need size of fund, you need a certain amount of return, it leads you to a certain set of behaviours that isn't right for everybody. Yeah. And so we just want to not be, this is what our metric is, we want to create moments of meaning for people in the world. Yeah. If we can unlock them, if we can move them eight, uh, 180 degrees to follow a different path, mm. if we can um, help introduce them to the network that gives them the belief, the time, the talent to do what they're encoded for, that's what we're aiming to do. We've only just started, but it's, it's fun. It's fun because 
you feel like you're in flow because the 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 motive is just generally to help people do what they really want. Yeah, that's incredible. I really want to unpack this because yeah. um, uh, I like the fact that you're making a distinction between um, money and and other types of help. Yes. Um, you mentioned charity, and I find that really fascinating. Um, we, we, uh, we've made really good friends with a, an accelerator program called Rebel Bio, um, who incubate um, uh, companies that are trying to solve cancer, climate change, and hard tech companies. And um, uh, one thing that I kind of mentioned was, um, do you think charities actually need to begin to col collaborate with startups um, in a much more meaningful way now? Because there are a lot of like charities that are trying to solve cancer and solve a wide variety of problems. Mental health is at the forefront right now. Do you think charities actually need to start working with startups, given the fact that they're doing research too? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know enough about how charities are run and operated truthfully to give a good answer on that. What I do know and what I do think is that more people should probably have a think about what their view on charity is mm. so like I've only just started thinking about this the last two years mm. I think most people give with us some people give because there's a cause really close to them mm. you know because something's happened to their family or whatever but I think so many people in this world they just have this view of philanthropy which is just I will earn as much money as I can and when I'm about to die because I probably feel a bit guilty mm. I'll put a badge I'll, I'll give some money to a library because that's mm. easy to do yeah what I've increasingly thought is my view on it is that we should be trying to... My view of it is I don't want to just give money to people um, to uh, do something. What I want to do is I want to make sure the things are investing in people being able to create their own economic engines. Yeah. They're empowering people to fulfil their own potential mm -hmm. and not to do it in 20 years' time and just do it as a big one-off, even though... Financially, in some ways, that makes sense because money compounds, so you might have a bigger pot by the end. Yeah. My thing on it is to give meaning along the way to people's lives mm. in whatever form that is. Mm. So sometimes it's about, you might just give money to somebody mm. to, uh, to start a podcast. Yeah. And that might set them on the path that enables them to create a thing that creates value in the world to lots mm. and lots of people. Mm. Other times it might be maybe more worthy causes. Mm. And again, but again... I, my only point here is just work out along the way what you care about and how and, and how to best enable that. Have you seen a specific segment, because you said that you tried Linky Brains, and mm. um, I mean, have you found like a specific segment of people that are kind of ignored and could actually, that you're helping right now? Would you be able I'm to peel back? so the, glad you asked that. Would you be able to peel back the curtain a bit for us? Yeah, look, so, so <clears throat> myself, Doug Scott and Chris Totman about a year ago just mm. messed about on the internet. We started this thing called Linky Brains, and within <clears throat> within a week, 250 people had changed their job title to janitor at Linky Brains, or like wow. it just sort of like okay. became a bit mimetic, I guess. And then all these confessional blog posts started where people talked about their Linky Brain and how they think about the world. And then people just started having coffees. People started having coffees in France, in China, in Cheltenham, mm. because there was something in this that resonated. And what really people were saying was, <clears throat> I have this leap-making brain, mm. but the systems, whether it be education, whether it be corporates, whether it be venture, they've never really worked for me and how I think. Mm. And 
out of that, we've become slightly obsessed by this notion that there are outsiders everywhere in the world. Yeah. There are people who somehow just don't feel like they fit. And there's been a bunch of things that's happened in their life that's made them feel that. They might not have had the right love, safety and belonging. They might have been dyslexic. They yeah. might have been ADD. Or they might just have felt like they just didn't quite fit in school system because they just thought different way and they were just trying really hard. Mm. And these people have really unique perspectives on the world. Mm. But the thing that we kept finding is they feel like they're in a mental prison. They feel trapped. They feel shame. Mm. They feel like they can't be who they really are because they had to fit in the linear view of the world. They had to fit in a linear education system. Yeah. They had to fit in a corporate that made them dig holes yeah. and made them do specific tasks. Mm. But inside them is just this volcano of like energy and things that they should do. Yeah. So we want to, and they're everywhere by the way, so they're sat in the corner of Deloitte. There are probably some in this building, mm. but there is, they just feel shame about revealing who they really are. So our vision of the world is really, really simple. Yeah. We want to accept them. Mm. We want to accept these people for who they are. Mm. We want to make them believe that's okay. We want to then empower them and go beast mode mm. on what their true talents are. Yeah. And because we know that these guys are everywhere, like they pop up on LinkedIn all the time, I go for walks from around the park, like these, that's what we want to do. We want to find the environments that will convince them that they can do what they're really, really encoded for. Mm. So in the last week, I've had somebody who has this completely new learning system, she's done a PhD on it, but just does not have the confidence to do it. So in that case, we give her a lab. They come into the company, Red Brain, and we let them play. We let them train the people, we let them build it, and we give them a platform to be able to do that. Mm. Another guy we just gave 10 grand to. We gave him that because we knew that he was on a path to uh, amplify ideas in the world. and. We did that because we knew that would give him a certain amount of security to just explore and play and have that freedom mm. to really understand what they really wanted to do. Because mm. one of the insights we've got is that people just don't have the time to play anymore. They're so busy achieving and trying to be somebody yeah. else's view of success and executing and blah, 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 that no one stops to go, what is it, who am I really and what do I really want? Mm. And that's what we want to unlock. Mm. And we, again, we've got a bunch of tools. We've got all the tools of the internet to, to hack and grow users. We've got huge networks. We've got money. There's a bunch of resources that we have and certainly creative ways, tools, models, psychologies to think about yeah. the world that, we, the, that should, and this is probably the biggest thing of all, make them believe they can, mm. make them feel secure and believe that they should do that thing that they really, really want to do but just feel like they can't. Yeah. What kind of led you to go into the VC world and kind of what, was, what were the, some of the core principles that are kind of allowed, enabled you to get to where you're at right now? Because you've left a company that you started. I mean, that's pretty tough. The, the core principles are turn off your brain. Um, I'm a massive believer that the world is an uncertain place. The world is a complex system. Mm -hmm. Like we all like to put order. We like to think it's a linear world mm -hmm. where step one meant step two meant step three. Yeah. That's not how the world works. The world, if you think of it like a bunch of circles and lines, we're all a bunch of nodes in the network and it's a complex, a complex adaptive system. Mm -hmm. Something happens, we react. Something happens, we react. Something happens, we react. My view on the world is you need to, I've got two models in life, optionality and serendipity. So I always want to, I never want to blow up. I never want to be in a, any kind of horrible situation. I always want to go in any key decision. I'm always thinking, what are the options? What gives me optionality? What gives me choice? What is the decision that won't be, leaves me enough time to play and explore things? 
That's number one. Number two, serendipity. Have I opened myself to enough chance in the world? Some of the greatest things that happened to me have come from chance meetings with people that I met for no reason, mm. other than I probably was scanning for it at the time and put my energy somewhere and that happened. Yeah. So to answer your question, the MSC search, search Invest gig happened, I worked there. I was bored. I was about to shoot myself because I was so bored with the job I was doing. I looked at people who were like management in the advertising agency and although I loved loads of them and they were all great, there was like, that just is not the life for me. Mm. And so I went and said to the CEO, I said, what do you want? I can do, I can do lots of things. Can yeah. I do anything? He's like, go and make an acquisition. I went and bought a company called Inside Mobile for them, okay. which um, I think two years ago made half the group's profit. It's wow. like an insanely successful yeah company and MSC Saatchi um, it's been a 400 million market cap company 144 companies around the world mm. one company like they've been I think the most successful company in the group by far mm. now I didn't know what I was doing right I just had passion eagerness and an ability to follow my nose yeah. and off the back of that I was like well you should you, you invest in their, their model is to MSC Saatchi groups to invest in entrepreneurs and service businesses so I'm like you should do this for tech I had no idea. I didn't know any VCs. I didn't know any entrepreneurs. I didn't. I honestly knew nothing about what I was talking about. But yeah. I knew something was happening. Yeah. So I knew I'm good at white space, and I could feel that this yeah. was where growth was. Yeah. And to their immense credit, they went okay, and they gave me money to go and invest in CityMapper. Was the first deal we did. Um, you know, two weeks later. Yeah. Um, and you know, then we did a deal called Everything, and since then we've done 25 investments. Yeah. And for me, it's just been a constant opening of the world, just going, oh my God, look at how much I didn't know. Till you sort of get some sense of, oh, actually, I know the game. Mm. When you know the rules of the game, you understand how to play it, you understand the players, mm. and you can hopefully make it successful. But the thing in venture is it's a 10 year long fun cycle mm. so you've got ages to know if you're any good or not mm. what are some of the rules of the game in venture here's the rules of the game um so here's i'll, I'll just give you a few off the top of my head yeah. okay yeah so um the first thing you need to understand is that it's a power law so let's say you make 25 investments it's not a normal distribution. Law number one is to know that out of every bet you make, there's gonna be two or three that make you all the money back, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. So out of those 25 bets, and this is what entrepreneurs don't understand, yeah. VCs end up not caring about most of you yeah. because you just do not make a difference to their return in their portfolio, yeah. okay? So number one is the power law. Mm -hmm. I think um, rule number two is you're actually playing a common knowledge game. Mm -hmm. So every VC, I, I, I believe that investors consistently underestimate the level of bias they have. We all do as humans. We all assume we're these autonomous, really rational decision-making creatures. We're not, we're contextual, we're emotional, we have all sorts of biases. Mm. I talk about VC as a common knowledge game. Yeah. So your bet is not to bet on a startup that you think will be most successful. Interesting. You, your, the game you play is you have to bet on the one that you think everybody else will be most successful. Why? Because as a startup, you don't have profits and revenue, right? Yeah. So if you don't get that next round of funding, you yeah. die. So yeah. I could pick you and I go, oh my God, this is amazing in the world. If no one else in the investor class does, and I don't have loads and loads of follower money, which I don't have, the company dies, right? Wow. So the game is, and I'll give you the best example of this. So the game is to bet on the thing that you think everybody else thinks will be successful, right? Wow. Okay. Now, 
No one will admit that's the game they're playing, right? Because you can't say that to your pills, the people they get money off. You can't go to Fidelity or whoever and just say, do you know what? We, um, we just invest in the things that we think everyone else think would be great. So like, why would we give you money? Yeah. So everyone has this illusion of control and this illusion of their own genius. Yeah. But a lot of VC is, you know, you can argue that Within a universe, a monkey with a dart might be as good as picking winners. Why do Index and Excel only get three out of 20 winners? Why do EF only have that many winners? You can't pick. You have to make lots of bets. Mm. And over time, some will come off, some won't. Yeah. And most people won't admit to that degree. They'll, they'll, they'll overemphasize skill mm. and underestimate luck. And I'm not saying there's not great VCs out there. There's yeah. better than others and there's degrees. Yeah. But what I will say is everyone consistently underestimates luck mm. and overestimate skill yeah. and just to emphasize common knowledge game for people who don't get it john maynard Keynes, 1936 1935 i think i might have that wrong said right there's a newspaper advert you've got a double page spread your job is to pick who you think the most popular girl is okay mm. now the key word there's most popular if you thought you could win the prize by picking the girl who you thought was should win yeah. you would lose the game is that you the most popular means you have to pick the one that you think everybody else will best vote on. Yeah. So that's the difference. You wow. don't bet on the one you think's right, you bet on the one that you think everyone else will think is right. And that's why Mark Andreessen says something, Peter Thiel says something, they say this area's hot, that area's hot. People listen to Trek Crunch, people listen to other networks, people don't understand. You only understand how influenced you are by that stuff yeah. when you step out and you can straddle worlds. Wow. And okay. so that is, I think, an insight on VC that... I don't think many people talk about. Mm. So, I mean, you said that there are some VCs that are better, some that aren't. I mean, would you classify that in terms of the value add they can provide entrepreneurs? No. I, well, like in terms of like, like product or mentorship or psychological so, so, help? So, so here's the game. So there are, so there are different levels of value add amongst VCs. There yeah. are some who are amazing, mm. um, who really care, who can add value in all sorts of ways. Um, the thing about VC is this is how the game works. In VC, your game is to get the most money and the best brand. So how do you get respect in the world? It's not actually through your value add. It starts with how much money you have. So if you've got 40 million, 50 million, 60 million, 70 million, 80 million, you're going to be perceived as more valuable mm. than the person who's got 20 million because you have a bigger check. Mm. And also you have a better brand. Mm. And so really the game in VC is get the most money, have the biggest brand, get the best entrepreneurs. Mm. Once you do that, you can have a flywheel effect. Biggest brand, most money, best entrepreneurs, raise more money, reinforce the brand, get the best entrepreneurs. And that's the game. When you can get to that level, you become uh, you know, a top tier fund. It's a game. Is it's it? a game. It's a game of perception. It's a game of... Uh, and, it, and they could do you, a lot of work hard, go on. Could you go as far as calling it a Ponzi scheme? <laughs> no, people do, I would never say that. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, in terms of uh, people, you know, wanting to go into VC, um, you know, you, uh, I remember listening to a previous interview of yours, I thought it was quite insightful. Um, would you be able to kind of go over that in terms of... How know, people get in VC? Yeah. Uh, or, God, or I, what's the best way or... I don't yeah. think... Uh, this would be my view, okay? Yeah. So, uh, VC is very much a relationship game, mm. okay? And it's about reputation. And so, if you wanted to get in VC, I wouldn't say, like, there's very few roles that come up in VC, okay? Mm. 
And so my game would be I'd optimise for serendipity and I would optimise to be known as the most helpful motherfucker out there. Yeah. And so all I do, and frankly, this is what I did when I started, I knew no one. Yeah. I just went out and just helped everyone, yeah. right? And that, it was my job at the time, but even if you're not in mm. the job, because it is a job, VC, mm. by the way, everyone makes it out like it's this, like, God given, it's a job. Mm. Um, you, um, you, that's what you do. So you just go, this is what I do now. I would literally go, I'd do a matrix of all the major players. Mm. So I'd start with, say, the top seed fund. I'd work out who's there, and then I'd work out below who are there and all that. And I would literally go and I would try and find where they go to events. And I'd start meeting them. Mm. And I would go and find, and at the same time, I'd go and find startups that was interesting and I thought I could help, and who'd maybe raise money, and maybe the people who they'd invest in. I'd just go and sit in their office and I'd say, right, give me a job to do, and I'll do it for you. And over time, people go, fuck, that Alex is great. Can you get him on a board? And suddenly, you have this relationship, this reputation as a thing. Mm. You could even build up a portfolio of, uh, if you don't have cash, maybe you could do a portfolio of advisory work. Ten startups you've done advisory work for, so mm. you've got a portfolio. Mm. Makes you more interesting, makes you more likely to get a meeting. Get a letter from four great founders who've raised a Series A who say, this guy is unbelievable. I would have him on my cap table like that. Mm. So I would absolutely do it through building reputation through being useful and helpful mm. um, rather than any of the normal ways. Mm. Do you think there's a clear um, down, would you be able to kind of uh, extrapolate and kind of explain uh, a couple of the upsides and the downsides to the amount of capital flooding into the London startup ecosystem? I mean, on the one hand, it provides a ton of opportunities. Um, on the other, it, it creates a massive amount of inefficiency and kind of entitlement amongst founders. Um, would you be able to kind of highlight a couple of the differences in, well, would you be able to kind of highlight the good and the bad? Well, the, down, the, the downsides for investors is that uh, fund returns will be depressed. When valuations get very high, mm. if you look back at all the data, fund returns get mm. depressed. It's much better to be investing in, say, 2009, just after the crash, versus 2019, when mm. we have this, like, like, uh, like what's it called heroin crack cocaine can't think of the fuck the drug where you just like give it adrenaline right um so if you ask me when would i like to be investing now or then then or maybe after the next crash if it happens yeah. then absolutely yeah. it's also because there's less competition mm. it's harder to win now mm. if you want to win a deal you want to win the best deal you have to bid up you get bid up you get bid up you get bid up and it's just harder to play mm. just is yeah um you know, more competition, more money, higher valuations, bad recipe for returns. Mm. Of course, we won't know that until we look back in 10 years' time. Yeah, exactly. But I can't believe we can get much more liquid than this because money's cheap. Mm. Interest rates have been at zero forever. Money's cheap. People can't get return anywhere else. So they are flooding the markets with money. Mm. Um, what's the downside for startups? Bad discipline. Like, if I look at, like, I work with very operational businesses that make quite fast growth and profit. And the difference in mentality about spend is huge. Startups can just hire people, they're fucking shit, they don't do a good job, they've got no idea what they're doing, they don't think about stuff, because mm. the answer for VC is always growth. Mm. So startups are just doing whatever they can to grow. Mm. And it's, uh, it actually kills more companies than it creates. Mm. Because you end up not thinking enough. You end up with too much ill-discipline, you get fat very quickly. Yeah. And at the moment it's hidden because there's so much money out there that all these VCs have a problem. They can't spend it. Mm. Too many VCs, too much money. Not enough good entrepreneurs. Supply-demand, very simple. Yeah. And so 
the you just have a lot of you'll have a lot of zombie companies you have a lot of companies that get fat too early and frankly a lot of companies that raise valuations too high which means they'll get recapped which means their cap table gets fucked from the start which means that they've messed up their company from the outset mm. it's one part of the story yeah some do absolutely fine there will always be companies who do amazing yeah and remember vcs only need three out of 25 mm -hmm. two out of 25 one out of 25 sometimes yeah what are the core components um, or fundamental things that a company needs to have in place before actually, you know, scaling and getting fat? I mean, uh, well, the, the short answer is product market fit. I think a lot of yeah. people think they have product market fit when they don't. My big observation on this is, I don't think startups make nearly enough experiments. I think they get pressures from their investors to pick a path and to do something. Mm -hmm. And I think most aren't good at growth hacking. I don't think they, they spend enough time playing. I don't think they spend enough time thinking. I think the pressure to grow and the pressure to give the right answer mm -hmm. and to produce this illusion of certainty mm -hmm. in a very uncertain, complex world yeah. means people pick things too early, they go down the wrong path and they end up stuck. Mm -hmm. um, you want to be running like, you want to be hacking users onto landing pages and testing like uh, the biggest, there's a thing I saw a video, I think it was Brad Feld once did where he asked a room to go, you know, how many of you have shipped a product in the last month? How many have shipped a product in the last three weeks? How many shipped products in the last week? How many yeah. shipped products in the last two days? And the people who ship with a cadence of every few days, you'd always back them to win because they just have more data and bigger feedback loops. So, um, that would be how I think about that. I love the fact that you're saying playing. Like, and I, I remember listening to Vinod Khosla and he, he specifically mentioned a story about when he spoke to Jack Dorsey and he, he implored Jack Dorsey, out of the 100 million he raised, he made Jack Dorsey to, um, do 10 experiments with two million pound each while he was running Square. And uh, what surprised me about Square was um, none of the people on the uh, none of the executives were from a finance sector so they had like a massive pool of diversity people coming with different opinions and they had a massive culture of like playing and, and trying different shit do, do you think like startups really need to start I mean do you think startups need to take on that mentality but then how can you when you're strapped for cash uh, do them fast mm. do them fast and don't make decisions too early on what the right product is mm. um Playing is really important. It's how we learn. Like when you're two years old, you learn how to do a phone by picking up a banana and chatting to it. You like work out how to cook by pretending to pour a tea set. You know, you're playing, you're working out the world. It's how humans learn. We learn through play. It's exactly how we work out the world. If you watch kids, you watch like four-year-old kids and they just make up games. They don't know what they're doing, but they will work out they've got rules. They will work out like they're playing. And that's how you learn. That's how we as humans learn. And the purpose of a startup to get to product market fit is to learn what the market wants. And to learn what the market wants, I think many people would be way better just working out how to play and create and spending more time on that, and less time on, we know what we're doing, Mr. Investor. Mm -hmm. Or if, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, by the way, I, so I think everyone's culpable of money and time. Think of those as two variables. Everyone thinks money is the answer. I think time is often the answer. Nobody, because of, again, the VC, once you're in VC, you're right, this is the game you're playing. The game is, very simple, the game is we need to raise again in 18 months. So you've got to get to this metric in 18 months, right? 
Now, that's in depression number one. And then well, you've got to go all the way up the chain, series A, series B, series D, series E, series E. So you're going to just rely on getting external funding all the way to the end. Yeah. And you're going to be a billion dollar company because by the way, that's what our fund returns expect you to be. And of course, you're not ambitious mm. unless you don't want a billion dollar company, are you, Mr. Entrepreneur? Mm. And so everyone starts playing this dance. And so there's pressure all along the way of the entrepreneur to like spend money for growth. And the answer is always, well, grow, Google, Facebook. Just spend all your money there, grow, get users. Yeah. Are they the right users? Are they the right time? Do we know what the thing is yet? Mm. Just grow, mm. grow. And Actually, sometimes you need time. Sometimes you need to play. Yeah. Say you had two years instead of money. What if I said, right, don't spend this money all at once. You've got two years to find product market fit. And I don't want you to spend too much early, but I want you to measure your number of experiments until you know what you're building. Mm. I reckon you'd have 30% more successful startups. Yeah. Because they wouldn't fuck up and make all the mistakes because they're on this ridiculous path that has been deigned. Not by VCs, but by the VC model. We need a return in 10 years. Therefore, to get return in 10 years, we need you to grow at this pace and go up these metrics like this and raise this funding at this time. Mm -hmm. It's not wrong. It's not bad. It just is. Mm -hmm. My thing to every entrepreneur is just know the game that you're playing. So I don't think many stop to question the game and understand the rules of the game Mm -hmm. and therefore work out how to play the game. Yeah. In terms of you investing now, like if you were to invest in 20 years' time... um, what do you think you'll be investing in? 20? Yeah. And the reason people, why... Pe- yeah. pe- people, people who... My definition of work is meaningful work with people you love. Yeah. I want models where I start with a person. I want to not care what they do as long as they go on their true path. Okay? So what do I want to invest in? The people who... I want to be the gap between who they are and who they could be. Mm. And I want to unblock all the things that get them there. Mm. So I, don't, I actually don't care. I don't care the industry. I don't care the thing. What I want is I want to care about them. And I want to be... I want a gang. Mm. I want a gang of people I don't mind spending every single day of the week with. Mm. I want to be phoned up and go to their house on a Tuesday. I want to go to another person's coffee shop on a Wednesday. And I want to just live life in flow. Where I'm helping all these people live meaningful lives that they love. Yeah. And I don't care what they do, mm. as long as they find meaning in it mm. and it unlocks. I want to create economic engines where they wouldn't normally have existed. Mm. I'm really interested in this fact that there's 7 billion people in the world. Yeah. How many brilliant people are there who just don't have the same luck that they were born mm. as, a, in my case, white male mm. in the middle of the UK in late 2000 yeah. uh, with near London yeah. with economic prosperity mm. Record low interest rates, declining forever. Stock prices going up like that since the 1980s. Uh, that's luck. Mm. What about all these people who haven't been given that, who are great, but they just don't look right, or they haven't been given the opportunity, they just don't know because they've not been told, but they're brilliant. Mm. Them. There's loads of them. It's a never-ending task. Do you foresee a world where like, investors will actually like, take a stake in the person's future as opposed to their company? I mean, it's, it's a bit... I remember reading a study in Harvard and um, there was a group of 10 friends and they, 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 they've stuck to it and they're about three years away. <laughs> yeah, I, my only thing on that, so yes, and there's been various... I think there was an MBA star that's done it on the blockchain, which may be gimmicky, maybe not. Mm-hmm. I don't think the thing scales properly yet. Yeah. You can argue people like EF are sort of doing it with their yeah. talent investing model. Um, my thing with that is just, is it a good, it depends on the model. Is it a good model for the person? Because if you're investing in the yeah. person and you take, for example, a percent of everything they earn as yeah. one model, 
or a percent of the companies that they create, that's potentially very value destructing for the entrepreneur. Yeah. You know, slavery is yeah. a great thing. Like I look at the world now and I go, um, most people are wage slaves. So we, okay. we, 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 we go back and we look at slavery in the, in the deep south and we go, oh my God, what a terrible thing. Mm -hmm. Will we look at companies making slaves of people's time if time becomes a more important construct, becomes more of a currency that we value over money? Because mm -hmm. money's role really is to buy time. That's really what you're using money for. You're yeah. using money to buy you time freedom. You want money to buy you the life you want, the time you have. Yeah. You want the choice to spend time the way you want it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, we've developed a world where, what is it, the third most addictive substance in the world is the monthly salary. And it is fucking addictive. Mm -hmm. But I just wonder, will we look back on this as, this, these ages as wage slaves? where we will create so much economic prosperity that the idea of somebody owning somebody else's time, nine to five, just seems anachronistic. Mm -hmm. Don't know. Yeah. Hopefully we'll be looking back at that 50 years from now. <laughs> um, in terms of, um, there's one thing I really wanted to talk to you about. Um, and are there, have you seen, okay, fuck it, I'll ask it. Okay, I'll ask it. Are there terms that you think Founders should just really avoid when they're going through the pre-seed and the seed round, because yeah, certain terms. No, I think they should be. This is what I think. Mm. Me and you are chatting. Chatting. Mm. For me, it's a miracle we can communicate with each other. Yeah. Okay. We have different brains. They encode differently. Yeah. There's a space between us where we can understand things. Mm -hmm. When every entrepreneur's pitch, very very few pitch within the frame of the VC. So what do VCs care about? Most entrepreneurs don't care, they just chat about their thing. But actually, VCs care about, can they get to the next round? They care about fast growth topics. They care about, do you understand your cost per acquisition, which they shouldn't do actually when you're really early in the seed round because it's too early and meaningless, but whatever. There's a certain language and things that they want to see that will help them. Do they understand the game? Will they be able to raise the next round of funding? Do they give me confidence that this is a CEO who can lead a big company going forward? If you really understand all these things, you can then do your pitch within their frame. Interesting. So okay. what I say to everybody, nine-tenths of pitches, nobody starts with a vision of the world when they're done. I don't care who you are. This is, if there's one thing startups should do, VCs have no imagination, right? Mm. At the moment, you'll be doing this little fucking shitty thing here, right? Because you have to. You just have to do a thing to get started. Yeah. Nobody starts with, imagine the world when we're done, yeah. right? Now, that's called framing and anchoring anchor them as a thought that they can then see the rest of your thing too when you do that when they can see billion dollar company whether it's like we will own logistics um, for uh, every product in the world or we will you will get out of a car in uh, san francisco and you will book your place you want to go with dojo and you'll get there via city mapper you know something that can evoke a picture in people's brains about what you look like when you're done no one does that. And so most people start on the back foot because they're like, what is this thing? Um, so that would be one thing I'd say. Speak the language. The main thing as part of that is create the frame. The big thing when you're done, because if they think you've got a 10, 20% chance of being yeah. huge and it excites them, you've got a fighting chance. No one does that. Mm -hmm. Do you think, um, yeah, we'll go to this question, I mean, um, could you talk us through like what you saw in the founders of CityMapper and Farewell 
when you decided to invest in them? Like, well, what, what, what? I call it founder product market fit. They're just total missionaries. They were born to do the thing they do. Interesting. Asmat wanted to solve cities. He didn't understand why people couldn't get from A to B. Yeah. Dan wanted to reinvent death. He didn't understand why death was a not talked about thing in the world. Mm -hmm. And he just saw it as a really shitty industry that robbed people. Yeah. And I just go, people are attracted to missionaries, not mercenaries. Mm -hmm. And I think that your best chance to get from C to A to B is if you can attract the best talent. And if you're not going to give up, mm -hmm. because someone from McKinsey you just thinks startups are cool, mm -hmm. they're not going to be around in two years. Mm -hmm. um, and kind of going generic, I mean, do you think there's going to be like a knock-on effect from like Uber and WeWork um, when it comes to, say, uh, venture capitalist mentality on things? Everything starts from public markets. Yeah. So the multiples that people buy things at, that's the ultimate thing. Will yeah. someone buy my stock to make yeah. the money? Um, that confidence seeps through the system. Now, at the moment, there's so much central bank liquidity that think at the moment, things like WeWork and when Tesla went, even though it's gone massively up now, those haven't filtered through. There's yeah. so much liquidity in the system mm -hmm. that those shocks haven't created crisis of confidence and they haven't um, depressed multiples. So if people are trading at a price earnings multiple of, say, 15, not that many have earnings, but let's just say there's a SaaS company, they've got earnings, they're trading at a price earnings multiple of 15, that gradually gets shrunk down to 10, that, the valuation that people pay below, that suffuses down. Mm. So the confidence suffuses down. Yeah. But I think that startups as asset class has matured so much in 10 years, I think that's here to stay. Mm. It's just that it will affect valuations and you'll see, it's that thing about you'll see who's swimming naked when the tide runs out, who has the more sustainable business models, mm. who will have to take a massive hit on their cap table. Yeah. Like there's a lot of companies that have been very reliant on um, the same investors keeping investing yeah. versus letting external people go. How good will those companies be when you know, the existing investors run out of patience? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, in terms of, there was one thing I wanted to talk about and let me know if you don't want to talk about it, but I mean, I've had many friends that have worked in the startup sector and you know, they've done really well, they've, they've worked their bollocks off, but, and then eventually there's nothing to show for it five years down the line, um, the company's raised gone to like a series C. Do you think there needs to be like a, an extra pool of liquidity for early startup employees? I think there needs more, more education. Okay. Like the amount that people have stole this startup dream, Yeah. whereas founders get fucked all the time by liquidation preferences. Like so many founders end up with nothing. Yeah. They end up diluting, 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 and they get five years down the line, they're like, holy fuck, I've got that much of the company, and yeah. now I don't care anymore. Oh. Um, it's a very untold story of VC. VCs love telling the story. You're ambitious. You'll be Mark Zuckerberg. You'll be Jeff Bezos. Yeah. It's like a fraction of the people who make riches from it. Mm -hmm. Most people make fuck all because they get screwed. Mm -hmm. Not screwed. Like not, Again, not bad behavior, yeah. but just this it's constant just, dilution. Yeah. Like I like, but like VCs works, and especially if you're a top tier fund. My thing's only about know the game. Know the game you're playing, yeah. right? If you want to go big, just... I asked you, what number do you want? You're like... I don't need very much money. Like, so you wouldn't, like for you, it feels like control is more important. I'm like, great. Probably don't get loads of VC money. Get something that gives you revenue. Do you know what I mean? Maybe someday it'll be VC ready, but you'd have to force yourself down that path now. So my thing's just pro-education. Um, yeah, I just um, think that most people should think more about that stuff. 
Um, if you look at stats, many, many founders get um, diluted down. Mm. And then that kind of trickles down to the... Not everyone. It's just, again, yeah. my, again, my point is not that it's wrong. It's perception versus reality. Yeah. So you will look at really successful exits. Often founders get almost nothing back, even mm. though the headline says great exit. Yeah. That story needs to be told more. Mm-hmm. Just because I care about people's lives. And if people are spending 10 lives doing something that ends up not achieving what they want to achieve, mm. they just need to know the risk. Mm. Quick fire round. Yep. Yep. Uh, most valuable purchase under £100. YouTube subscription yearly. <laughs> oh, I, so, so like, you don't have the ads? Yeah. <laughs> I bought premium. Like, for me, it's the greatest... Um, it's an unbelievable learning resource. Because like, I'm no good at loads of books. Yeah. I'll spend like, so much time just like diving through videos and all sorts of crap. I just think it's the most incredible learning resource mm. humanity's ever seen. Mm-hmm. What book would you give to a fellow startup founder? Maybe in fintech or insure tech specifically? I won't have one that's specifically for fintech and insure tech. Okay. Let me come back to that one. Okay. Uh, most valuable advice you've received? It's okay to be you. Most valuable failure that in hindsight has set you up for success or in the trajectory you're in right There's now? There's so many, but people close to me dying has been the greatest thing because it's made me realise how short our time is on Earth. Mm. And it's got me in a rush to do what I'm supposed to do. So... I mean, it's not really a failure, but I guess it is. It's a heart failure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a body failure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, what gives you the most joy in, um, in doing what you do? Okay, there's a moment. So, there's a moment when I'm chatting to somebody and they're in their head, but we're talking about what gives them love, safety and belonging. We talk about what they're addicted to now and when they, you know, when they felt love as a kid. And there's a moment when you chat to them and their eyes light up. Like, I see it in loads of people I chat to. There's a moment where they unlock something. Um, For some people, it's like a mission in education. For some people, it's uh, the feeling when they're helping people um, do something else. And... It's that moment. Mm. I almost live for that moment when I can, because I ask a lot of questions, a lot of people, and I really enjoy helping them strip away the layers and find their true self. And when I see that, and I literally see that moment in their eyes, that's incredible. Amazing. What's your favorite restaurant in London? I don't care about restaurants. You don't care about restaurants. I go to Ozone Coffee a lot. Okay. It's good to meet founders. I just don't care enough about restaurants (laughs) to have one. Um, and favourite beverage? I like Prosecco and gin and tonic and whiskey. Those three, <laughs> not together. <laughs> That'd be tragic. That would together. be tragic. And the book, I want to think about the book. The book I would give to people. The, to a startup founder is... I'll tell you one I'd give. There's one by a guy called Scott Adams called Win Bigly. 
and it's all about persuasion. And the reason I do that is I think lots and lots of startups are terrible at selling and they're terrible at training people, but the one thing you need to be great at is persuasion. And you need to persuade investors to come on board. You need to get clients. You need to get employees. And that's all helping people believe they can have what they most want. And Win Bigley by Scott Adams does that through looking at how Donald Trump, who's a master persuader, has managed to get to president through the powers of persuasion. That's incredible. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. I really no appreciate your time. Thank you very much. And mark the end of it. <laughs>